Hi teachers, I'm Carly Walton and this is the Teach Music Online Podcast, a show where you'll find tips and strategies for growing your studio. I'm all about automating business tasks, growing with social media channels, and teaching with only the best online tools. Welcome, welcome, especially if you're a new listener. I'm just thrilled that you're here. Happy Monday. I hope that you have an exciting week ahead. I hope that you have warm weather wherever you are. It's warming up so much here in Utah and it just makes me so happy to be outside all day. (laughs) Or at least I wish I could just be outside all day. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Brenda Earl Stokes. She's the creator of The Versatile Musician. Brenda has done just about everything that you can think of in the world of music and performing. She's a jazz pianist. She majored in jazz piano. She has two degrees in it. And she's also a vocalist and has traveled the world performing. She's also taught in numerous schools and camps. And now she specializes really in helping singers with piano skills. In our conversation, we talk about how musicians and teachers alike can find fulfillment in their careers. This is a really important topic. And we talk about some mindset um, mindset tricks or mindset tactics that can really help you refocus and channel in your inner musician. She has some amazing insight into how we can find balance and joy in what we do as both a musician and a teacher. I cannot wait to share our discussion with you. Our Teach Music Online review this week comes from one of our TMO members who said this, TMO has opened my mind to the reality that we as teachers can teach anywhere. My limited thinking kept me in a rut to the teaching possibilities, digital course creation, passive income, etc. TMO has helped me become more professional in how I present my studio and what my studio has to offer. Thank you, Carly. Thank you for sharing how TMO has made your studio so much better. And that is one of my biggest goals is to help teachers get out of this rut of thinking that they can only do so much because really the possibilities are endless with how to really build a career that is fulfilling and filled with so many good things that yes, bring you income, but also bring you so much joy. Okay, here is my discussion that I had with Brenda Earl Stokes. Brenda, welcome to the Teach Music Online podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I am excited to visit with you today. I had so much fun preparing for this interview and learning about the myriad of things that you've done in your life. Gosh, I feel like the list is never ending and yet you're real you look really young. Like you're you have you have many years to go. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you have so much going on and I'm so excited to to dive in. First, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background as a musician. Um, I know you're a musician and a teacher, but can you tell our audience a little bit about how you got started in music and your passion for for gigging, really, and for performing? Oh, sure. Well, like a lot of, you know, sort of middle class kids in my town, we started taking piano lessons at age four in my family. And it never really resonated. I did all of the Royal Conservatory of Music exams. I'm from Canada originally. And, you know, kind of moved through it and liked it to a certain degree, but was a terrible practicer and something didn't fit right for me. And when I was in high school, my high school band director played a recording of Oscar Peterson, the great jazz pianist. And as soon as I heard like two minutes of it, I went, this is the thing. Like, this is the piece of the puzzle that's missing for me. And all of a sudden, like all the light switches turned on and I went, this is 
this is what I want to do. And I, I got completely obsessed with it. I started my own, I played in the big band at high school. Um, I started my own jazz ensembles and we were rehearsing before school at seven o'clock in the morning. It was like we were, I was in. Um, and I ended up going to York University in Toronto um, and doing my undergraduate degree in jazz piano, which was the best because um, Oscar Peterson came and hang out with us a whole bunch because he lived in the neighborhood and knew our um, the dean of jazz really well and would come and hang out. So, you know, that's really where things started for me. Um, well, the whole time I was in high school, I worked as a ballet pianist. Um, I had been a dancer, but realized it didn't right, fit right for me. But I loved being able to accompany dance classes. And I started accompanying my choir when I was in grade eight and did a lot of choral accompaniment and some conducting when I was in high school. And you know what I discovered is I, I love jazz and I love being in an environment where I can learn and I can um, be in, in, engaged with other people doing musical things. Um, yeah, the, the collaboration, the fellowship of it, it just was like, this is our thing that we do. Um, and so when I graduated, um, I started doing a little bit of singing. I was kind of singing in secret because um, everyone kept asking me if I was a singer like Diana Krall and it drove me nuts. And um, so I kept my singing a secret because I wanted people to take me seriously as a, as a jazz pianist. Um, and then I, somebody literally... I came out of the closet. I was practicing in a closet and someone knocked on the door to see like who was in there and it was me. And they're like, you're a singer too. Um, and so, you know, it, it, there were a lot of kind of, kind of things that, that kind of, kind of came about. I, I continued for several years as a ballet pianist um, in Toronto while I was performing jazz gigs and doing all kinds of things. And then I had a chance to go on a cruise ship and I joined um, a cruise ship as a sing-along piano bar entertainer playing pop music, which I had never done before. They got me the gig because I told them I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and so when I went out there, I learned a ton of songs and, you know, figured out the gig. And uh, so, you know, that's been kind of the, the theme for my entire career is being curious about something, signing up for it, figuring it out and, you know, trying to make it work. I love it. I love hearing that you really tested and tried a, tons of different things with music. And it sounds familiar. It sounds like the passionate musicians that I'm aware of who really like when you find this passion, it it spreads its way around, like you said, you know, on the cruise and you you learned classical, but you as soon as you got that taste for jazz, like loved jazz and loved the collaboration. And and then you were a singer as well. Like it's so neat. At what point did you feel inspired to start sharing that gift as a teacher? Um, was it at a younger age or later in your career? It was later. So the, one of the reasons that I got into ballet accompaniment because was because like a lot of my friends were finishing their undergrad and they were going and teaching. And I really felt that I wasn't ready for an output. I was still in input mode. And, um, you know, I, I definitely I feel like all of us as musicians and teachers go through that. It's time for input. It's time for output. I was ready for more input. And so my, you know, paying the bills kind of thing that I did was was ballet piano because I was playing because I didn't feel ready to share the teaching yet. 
Um, and it wasn't really until I got to New York. Um, I came here in 2001 and then 2002, I started my master's degree at Manhattan School that opportunity started coming up. And um, I realized that I was gonna have to learn to make a living very quickly. I was an adult person and I didn't have a trust fund. It was time to get to work. And I got hired for the Midori and Friends Foundation. And they said, hey, do you wanna, do you wanna teach some elementary school choirs? And I went, sure. And it was so amazing to get to work with these like little kids and for me to bring my kind of creativity from, you know, different things I'd done in ballet classes and movement exercises and singing. And, you know, I, I really got the bug for it because I, I had the taste for the creativity aspect of it. Um, and that was really the first teaching that I did. And that was in my mid 20s. Wow, that's so neat. Especially starting with elementary, I think is you get this totally different vibe <laughs> than, I mean, teaching piano, teaching voice. I've done the, all of those as well. I've taught high school choir and high school mm -hmm. keyboards. and But I started with K through eight elementary and it is just such a fun atmosphere, but it's also really hard. Like the constant activity and the creating like short little segments to keep everyone busy. And that sounds so fun. So after you did elementary music, did you, when did you start getting into the one-on-one -on -one lessons with students? So I did, you know, I dabbled a little bit here and there at different points, but it was when I graduated um, from Manhattan School, um, my, one of the professors there um, asked me what I was doing this summer. Did I want to teach at a, the New York Summer Music Festival? Because they were looking for somebody who could be a jazz pianist and play in the, you know, in the big band, but they also needed someone who could teach jazz piano, but they also needed someone who could run the choir. So I was kind of a two for one, <laughs> you know, they were like, how many things can you do? And we pay you for one person. <laughs> and so I went in with, you know, very limited choir experience, um, especially jazz choir. I hadn't ever sung in one. Um, and, you know, there was where I was seeing a ton of students. And I taught there for eight summers. So I think I was there a total of like 22 months, I think, in, in upstate New York at, at State University of New York, uh, Oneonta. Um, and I taught hundreds of lessons there. And for a lot of the lessons, they were exactly the same because they were kids who were coming to camp to experiment with jazz, had never played jazz before. And a lot of times I had four half hour lessons, maybe six if I was lucky, if they stayed for more than two weeks and to teach them everything they needed to know to go back and play in their big band. And, you know, it, it sounds like teaching the same lesson over and over again would be boring, but what I was actually doing was refining how do I do this? Like, what do they really need? How can I get this done quicker and quicker and quicker and more and more efficiently? So, you know, in the middle of, you know, the first couple of years of that, I really refined how do I get this information across to people in the most efficient way? So I have tried every single thing and I now know the best way. <laughs> Well, you, that's made me curious because I would love to see what the best way is. I love I love lead sheets and accompanying mm -hmm. and, you know, playing with a trio and I'm not great at it. I mean, I, I would not go out and like look for opportunities to do that. But I think it's really it's for me, it's just a kind of a creative outlet to improvise and to think of new ways to play. It's it's. It's amazing that you can study music as long as you can and then, or as long as, I don't know. I feel like I've studied for a long time, but when it comes to that, I feel like such a baby in that. 
Yeah, and you're not you're not alone. You know, I, a lot of people think of it as like the final frontier. It's like, well, I've done all this other stuff. What about this other this other realm? And and it was really fun. And there were some kids that were in that. You know, they were high school students who ended up getting into it the same way that I did when I was a high school student and they ended up majoring in it in college like they had no intention of doing that and it was so meaningful to them these summers that because you know we all as teachers know what can happen when you have those intensive environments and it was really incredible to see people say wow like this is really what I want to do you know it was really like fun and felt like full circle again you know this the circle of life kind of stuff one of the things you focus on in your coaching and your teaching with with adults now as musicians is I think you mentioned accompaniment skills right for the singer yeah. for the singer yeah. can you tell us about that and and why it's become such a big part of what you do and the, kind of the need that you found in that area Absolutely. So, you know, I was got very interested and very engaged in vocal pedagogy. I went into that whole realm and got certified in a method and was spending a lot of time with my singer friends, really in that world that I, I hadn't really spent that much time in before. And one by one, my singer friends would come to me in secret and say, you know, I took four semesters of piano in college and I can't function. Like, I, I feel like a loser. I have so much shame around it. And we're talking like dozens of singer friends coming and taking lessons with me. And I realized that this was a problem, like a really, really big, substantial problem. And so just like my jazz lessons in the summers, I started to see like, what skills do singers actually need to support their work? How can I give it to them as efficiently as possible? And it kind of turned into a method. Um, and then in 2018, um, I got the idea, like I, I teach the same first 12 lessons to everybody. What if I took those 12 lessons and turned them into an online course so that instead of somebody having to pay for 12 lessons, they can pay for, you know, one, a hundred bucks to learn all of those lessons as a way to you know, to help them to gain those skills. And 400 people showed up for it, like right off the bat. And it turned into a whole, like within a year, there were 400 people going through all of this. And I was like, wow, this problem is bigger than I thought. And so what have, has turned into one of my specialties is I teach piano for singers. Like what skills do singers need to support their work? Um, and so all of my singing students end up playing piano. And then interestingly enough, all of my piano students end up singing. So it's kind of a one-stop shop for building, building that world out. What is some of the feedback you get on the, this course that they go through initially where they're learning those like basic skills as a singer? What are some of those like aha moments they have or breakthroughs where they couldn't, couldn't get there before maybe in their college classes? I think the biggest thing is that the in a lot of the college classes, the, the piano courses are being taught by pianists, which makes sense, except when we're training pianists to be pianists, they need a certain set of skills. As pianists, we know what those things are. It's, you know, hands together, sight reading, it's hand and exercises, it scales two hands together. But singers don't need that. Like, what do singers need? Singers need to be able to play voice exercises in 12 keys. Singers need to be able to play chords and do faking. They need to do some sight reading, but it's mostly just melody lines. Um, and so what the great majority of people have said is, this is the stuff I needed to learn. Like this is the laundry list of things that I needed to cover first. 
Um, and so that's been the feedback of like, why wasn't the class geared towards singers? And honestly, if I hadn't worked with all of those singers, I probably would have taught them the way that I was taught. But again, I was being trained as a what I call a capital P pianist, right? Not a pianist, a vocational pianist who is playing piano to support other work. So I think that was really what um, was kind of groundbreaking about what I was doing. It sounds like there needs to be some college courses on that for like the vocal majors, you know, like, because it's so true. The vocal majors go through piano, piano, you know, one, two and three or whatever in their colleges, Mm -hmm. but they're learning from piano teachers and they are truly learning usually from the beginning. They're learning how to read, you know, note values and then like you said, maybe all of the scales and then all of the harmonic and I mean, like things that really don't benefit them because they're not going to be training pianists, they're going to be training singers in the future. So like, or, or in choirs, right? Absolutely. And you think about what are the first most important steps. And I know in piano ped- pedagogy that that has some, there's like controversy around it too. There's, there's the Suzuki method, which is training the ears first. There's, you know, piano safari that is the same thing dealing more towards ears and um, less about note reading. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different ways to approach it. And so my thought with all of this is to, if you only have someone for two semesters, let's give them the actual skills they need to function and survive. And then the second year, or if there's additional material, then we train them the way we train everybody else. But I think it's really sort of a triage thing of what is the most important thing we need people to know for sure before they finish their time here. I'd love to hear, you know, I I think a lot about mindset with teachers and musicians, and I think a lot of the the lack of growth comes from fear. Um, You know, a a lot of what we talk about is marketing and how to have growth in your studio, and I have teachers who even go through my material and they still don't have it, and it's not because they aren't doing the things, it's because they have these blocks in the way. Um, that keep them from believing in themselves, believing that they're capable of doing more. What are some, I, I'd just be so interested from a, for vocalists, what are some of those like those um, challenges they hit when they're maybe when they're trying to add that new skill set or when they're trying to get out back into a new career um, or start teaching? I would say that the the old time joke of the stupid singer, you know, that that is what so many singers are always working around. It's that singers are dumb. Singers don't know anything. Um, oh, see, the singer is just holding the whole band back like that is so, so deeply rooted for so many singers. And there's a lot of shame around it. There's a lot of um, the way that training, even at the university level, is organized around singers can be that because the singers are in a separate theory class. The singers are in a separate improv class. They're, it, you know, it's that feeling less than. And so I think for, again, a huge majority of the singers that I have worked with, the mindset is really the feeling of people or the system that has said, you're, you're dumb, you're not a musician, you don't understand what's going on. And so that is a huge part of what um, has been kind of the mantra or the mission for my my um, whole teaching career is to show people that just because you don't have the same skill set as instrumentalists doesn't mean that you're not a musician too. How do you help them get there? Like, 
how how does someone go from this ingrained thought that was given to them from experiences throughout their life, you know, silly comments that were made or just what's around them? Like, how does someone get from thinking less of themselves to like believing in themselves? Well, I would I would say three things right off the bat. The first one is to be in an environment of people who are supporting you. And that is finding, you know, teachers and mentors that can see, that understand what your value is and and being around them and believing what they say to you. Um, I think the, the second one would be to be able to list the things that you actually can do because it's easy to have a laundry list. Like we have a to-do list, you know, but I love um, Gretchen Rubin, you know, she has a happier podcast. Um, she has a to-da list of like the things that you already can do and the things that you did already. And so I think that being able to have that list of things, of things that you can do already. And when we start to make those lists, you start to say, oh, wait a minute, like I can sing harmony on anything. I can stand up and sing any song I want. I can, you know, all of these other skills that a lot of pianists don't have, for example. Um, And then the third thing is to identify who the people are. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of the term like the committee, you know, the committee in your head of the people that are sitting at the table in your brain who are like your ballet teacher or your mean piano teacher or your uncle who said you were terrible or whoever was saying mean things, your third grade teacher who said you'll never read right. Like identifying who the people are on your committee um, so that you can that you can look at them and, you know, kind of say, you know, I don't need you right now. Like this isn't really this isn't this isn't valuable to me right now. So I would say those are three, you know, relatively easy ways to to kind of move through the the mindset stuff. I love what you were saying about mindset and really being aware of our thoughts. I think that's the first one of the first steps is just recognizing thought patterns that are not helping us. And I had a huge shift in my own teaching and really career growth when I recognized that I could change my thoughts and that I actually choose all of my thoughts, that they're not given to me and that every circumstance is neutral and I can actually decide what to think based off of every circumstance, even if faced with bad comments or, you know, like I'm thinking of those musicians who are getting getting the heat or getting some of those negative comments in their lives that may never end, but they can choose on how to react to them. And I find it very empowering to, if you're able to, to figure out who it was that like, it's old business, right? There's new business, there's old business. And for me, there were a couple of people in my life when I was like years and years ago who told me I would never amount to anything like just negative or, you know, experiences that I had during my undergrad as one of the only women in the jazz program and some of the stuff around there. And if I go back to that in my mind, sometimes with help of a therapist, <laughs> but to go back to be able to say, well, wait a second, like that was years ago that somebody who wasn't qualified for anything said to me, that's old business. Like that doesn't, that has no impact on anything. Um, you know, and another thing that can really make a difference, I think, in in mindset shifts is to to try things, just try them and surprise yourself by when things actually happen. You know, it's like sometimes the proof is really in the pudding. If you say, you know, 
I'm going to try something different and then just observe what the results can be. You know, it's like getting out of those patterns by trying something different. Oh, I love it all. We could talk all day about mindset. I think it's something that gets skipped in um, most training is mindset, you know, with the issues that people, that teachers have with growth specifically, um, we tend to jump to like, are you doing this? Or are you doing this? And we forget to say like, what are you thinking actually? <laughs> like, what are right, you, right. what are you telling yourself? Because whatever you tell yourself is what happens. And the more you tell yourself, you can actually, as a singer, you can actually accompany yourself and really no one would ever know. Like you can, you can do all of these things that you think you can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, that's again, where it's helpful to have people around you who can support you, a community of people or a teacher or a mentor or a coach to be able to, to, to say to you, you know, you're doing that thing again, where you think you can't do it, but look at all the evidence that you have done it, you know, like look at the things that you have done. And, you know, you just, you need a community of somebody around you to be able to help you to see it. You know, mm -hmm. I need it too. Yes. You know, there's probably a teacher listening who is teaching and has kind of lost some of that, um, what they think is that their inner musician. Um, maybe they're mostly teaching and they, they don't really have as many opportunities to perform or play. Do you have any thoughts for that teacher who wants to bring maybe some of that back into their life and how they can incorporate some other things to add some versatility to what they do? Yes, I think, I mean, for all of us in the last two and a half years of our life, I think the burnout level is real. And so I think um, even before you go on to try some stuff, like it's good to find places in your life that you can edit things out so that you have place space for rest. Um, you know, you and I are both parents, so certainly that is, we that's at a premium for us. But I think being able to find some space for peace and rest is one way to get the fire burning a little bit because if it's not enough i don't think to say oh you should try some jazz or try something different i think for me especially this is this has been the case even more very recently to give myself some space to rest to have thoughts to watch my thoughts go by to sort of be thinking about things at my own pace is a lot of times what makes a difference for me to be able to get back into things and then the next level would be to allow myself to remember what feels good to me about music making or creating what feels good for me and to do that. And so while I know I quote unquote should probably go back and play some Bach preludes and fugues because that's a great way to get my chops back in shape. What really feels good to me is if I play and sing a bunch of 80s covers because I know that that is like a one-way ticket to like good vibes all around. And so even though that feels like, oh, it's a waste of time or it's not going to get me to the next thing, what it's doing is it's nourishing me. It's making me feel good and relaxed and enjoying music. If you go to my Instagram feed the last several weeks, I've been posting an awful lot of one-minute reels of me singing 80s covers and just for fun. Um, and then after that, to, to think about... What, what is something that you could do that's different from what you usually do? 
And again, maybe that's, maybe you need to take a little mini workshop on piano improv. Um, maybe you want to take a watercolor class. Maybe you want to take singing lessons for the first time or, or try music theater singing or, you know, it's like try something different. So that would be, you know, again, my three-step process is to rest, find some fun, and then, you know, see what's going to really feel good for you to do. Such great takeaways, such great takeaways. You know, I was, I was discussing similar thoughts with Tim Topham a few weeks ago, and he had said something very similar to make space for other things, like for maybe reading a new book or um, things that maybe aren't even like professional, professional development, but that allow your mind to go somewhere else because we're so overwhelmed in our work all the time that it can actually block you from that creativity and I actually had the thought, I wondered, do you have like, do you do have any kind of meditation or yoga or like when you said, you know, you allow your thoughts go by, what, what kind of things do you do to like allow that space or is it just simply, you know, not having any noise? It's, it's finding time by myself because of course the last two and a half years I have not been alone ever at all because I'm always either teaching or with my family because we you know on lockdown and everything um, but what I've discovered really benefits me is to have time either by myself at home or time where I take my myself to Central Park I live four blocks away as I told you before the interview um, and go on long meandering walks where I'm not listening to anything I'm not thinking of I'm just allowing my thoughts to go to notice the birds the trees to let my thoughts go through and just to kind of observe where that goes so I guess it's kind of a walking meditation um, I also find for myself that clutter clearing is a good thing like for me to go through the apartment and just get rid of old books and things and put things away but that is another place where I find an incredible amount of of just kind of relief like simplifying my my surroundings so many good takeaways and you know it was partially a discussion I wasn't anticipating but a really needed topic and refresher for all of us as musicians and teachers to allow ourselves that time um, to re-energize and and to remember the musicianship inside of us that in, that inspired us to teach in the first place. I often think about how we are infusing in our students this love for music and how it, it can be empty if we aren't loving music. Like if we're wondering why students aren't reacting or aren't actually going home and practicing, it, it, it might start with us and with our inner inner, I don't know, like spark, which it's okay that it comes in waves. Like it's, it's only natural that we go through seasons in our life where we aren't playing all the time, but I think it's worth bringing it back. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, but this past weekend, I went to an event for the National Association of Teachers of Singing, our local chapter, and it was um, a wonderful, um, uh, who's a, she's a singer and a uh, acting coach and she did all these acting exercises and we were in the middle of the park with our arms over our head like whooping and and like crying and laughing and doing all these crazy sounds and you know I walked away from that saying like this is exactly the kind of stuff we need to be doing like I don't always need to be in a like what's a better hand position that that may not be it it's like also finding time for play um, that there are lots of sources that we can draw from to 
to teach from, that it doesn't have to be exactly on the page of what we teach. It can be, you know, borrowing from other, um, other styles, other art forms. Um, and the better that I feel, the more relaxed, the more connected I feel to myself, the more that I can care about and take care of the people that come into my studio. Um, so if I'm relaxed and present, then I can help them to be relaxed and present. And if they're not relaxed and present, like it doesn't matter what I'm teaching them, you know, if they're, if they're all over the place and I am too. So I feel like those are all things that make a difference. Yes. I'd love if you could give us a little overview of your membership. Tell the, the teachers listening what you want the focus to be inside your membership and what are some of the favorite um, courses and resources that you have in there that people are really enjoying? Yeah, so it's called The Versatile Musician and I had built seven different online courses and realized that nobody needed just one. People really needed to treat it like a buffet that they take a little bit of what they need from all of the different things. And so it consists of um, both of my piano skills for singers courses. There's a course in jazz piano. Um, there's a course in rhythm. I call it rhythm workout where I'm literally clapping and counting all of the rhythms. Um, so that's somebody who needs a real fast infusion of understanding of rhythm. It's a little, little dalcrozy. There's some movement involved. Um, there's a solfege course where I sing all the solfege patterns in all of the modalities. Um, and then, you know, a lot of stuff in pop piano and piano accompaniment. So, you know, I initially geared it towards, you know, my singer people who needed piano support, but a lot of piano people have come in because of the jazz stuff and the pop stuff, like some of the musicianship stuff, some of the singing stuff. Um, and a lot of music educators come in. So people who are, um, you know, K through eight or high school music teachers who want to improve their general musicianship and piano skills. And then a whole population of people I wasn't expecting, which is avocational adults, um, have showed up and they want to sing and play for their family, or, um, some of them are going into nursing homes or doing sing-alongs. And so, you know, there's, there's this really cool cross section of, you know, professional singers and professional pianists with a lot of other people who are just looking to gain skills. So it's really a place to get a lot of the skills that would support whatever your main thing is, whether it's being a piano teacher um, or whether it's being a singer or a voice teacher. Me too. I, I had no idea about it. You know, I, it was never a vision that I had for myself, but as I said, like, I just thought, I wonder if there's a way I could get this information to people. That was 2018. I had never held a video camera before. I'd never done any video editing. I knew nothing. And I, you know, it was blood, sweat and tears to get it together, but it was really worth it because it's, it's been a, a great, you know, low budget way for people to be able to develop the skills they need. So if they can't fly to some big, you know, camp or festival or conference, this is something that they can do at home that is meaningful and worthwhile and will have an impact. And so that feels like success to me. It's so fun. And it is, it is really so great to be able to impact people in such a variety of ways. I love it. Um, and you are really fun to follow online. So tell us a little bit more about where teachers can follow you and get more information on what you have to offer. Oh, sure. Well, my website is pianoandvoicewithbrenda.com. 
And on there, I have like 200 blog posts full of all kinds of really fun, fun stuff. Um, you know, lots of video stuff. I have a YouTube channel, um, which is uh, Piano and Voice with Brenda. And again, I have like 200 videos on there of all kinds of crazy stuff. There's a series that I have of me singing um, contemporary pop songs in movable dough soulfish, <laughs> which is, you know, I guess what people do. Um, and, you know, lots of lots of fun stuff on Instagram reels, too. And I'm um, Brenda Earl Stokes on there that they can follow me. Um, yeah, that's that's how you can get a hold of me. All right. Thank you so much, Brenda. This was so fun having you. I'll have to have you on again soon. I would love to. Thanks so much. Who is your business coach? If you don't have one, I would be so honored to be your coach. I created a virtual course and coaching membership called Teach Music Online that I want to invite you to join me in. With 60 plus videos, online teaching certification, monthly live group sessions, hundreds of hours of recordings, and online forums, you'll know exactly how to create a thriving online business that gives you the flexibility and freedom that I know you deserve. Plus, you'll have the support of hundreds of like-minded teachers along the way. So when you're ready to really take what you're learning on this podcast to the 10x level, then come check out the Teach Music Online membership at teachmusic.online forward slash membership. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have an amazing week and as always, happy teaching.